person hits them up at 1 a.m., that's a good sign that you're a booty call. <laughs> you get, you hook up, and the arousal and the sexual connection treats the pain of the abandonment and rejection. Mm. So we end up in these cycles. And of course, that is the best sex, right? Everyone is like, man, but I, we have the best sex. Of course mm-hmm. you do. You got like a couple wounds banging against each other, you know? <laughs> You're listening to the Everyday Legends Podcast, the show that is dedicated to helping everyday men build legendary relationships with yourself, your partner, and your world. I'm your host, Mike Camp, and the aim of this podcast is simple, to help you navigate life with more clarity, more confidence, and purpose-driven action, with plenty of stories, a load of lessons, and some loving straight talk. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode. I mean, it's the second episode, so this might be the first one for you. Welcome to a episode, an episode of the Everyday Legends podcast with me, your host, Mike Campbell. And I'll tell you what, I am excited, um, but I was actually very nervous (laughs) sitting down with my guests for this podcast and I was nervous because this was legit the first guest episode that I did for this podcast the first interview that I had done for it I've done plenty of interviewing in the past I do interview style conversations kind of all the time but for this I'm excited to be sharing this content with you guys and with that comes some nerves <laughs> am i going to get it right are they going to like it can i make it as good as it can be what do i need to do what do i need to say and bringing in my first guest and my first interview that kind of brought that home to me a little bit um so who was that person well it is mr mark groves or as some people might know him from the internet create the love. Mark is an outrageously beautiful and legendary human being. He is an everyday legend. He's a good friend of mine and I feel very privileged and grateful to be able to call him um, such a close friend. And he's also a human connection specialist. He is someone who I have learned so much from over the years. both as a human, but also in the world of being a coach, a business owner, uh, in terms of a man with integrity, and in the realm of relationships. I've been very fortunate to work with Mark and run some courses together and some retreats and um, facilitate and coach with him, and also learned so much from his own content. I love his style. He's so real. He's so down to earth, yet so goddamn on point. Every time I consume some of Mark's content, I'm either learning something or in awe of him as a creator and a presenter. And for me, he was a no-brainer. He has to be the first guest on my podcast. I suspect that he will probably feature many more times. Because what we today jam on is a few things. Um, We touch on something that he once coined the evolved man and it was actually the first piece of content that I ever came across from Mark and blossomed um, our our relationship Uh, and with that we kind of explore into 
what that means as uh, you know he once coined it an evolved man as i now essentially coined it the everyday legend um and what that means for us showing up in relationships and then really exploring relationships we dive into the topic of codependency kind of making sense of that a little bit why it comes about how it comes about what we're doing when essentially we enter into a relationship and we either make someone else's feelings my responsibility or we make them responsible for our feelings and so we kind of explore codependency mark's an expert on this stuff he's got some amazing pieces of content and um, courses things that you can explore if you want to explore that Uh, and so we kind of come to some of the invitations that we can receive in uh, relationship both to grow to learn and to really face what quite inevitably will pop up in our relationships and so there's plenty of lessons in this um, and there might also be some questions that pop up for you there might be some things that are challenging perhaps a little bit confronting um, for you so if that's the case I invite you to explore those to write down the questions that pop up for you because one of the key things when it comes to this work i.e. working on figuring out who you are who you want to become and how to become that as an everyday legend is inquiry is curiosity is taking off the hat of the guy who is hard on himself who automatically goes into judgment mode of himself beating himself up being hard on himself setting overly unrealistic expectations and putting on the hat of the curious observer the adventurer who wants to explore and figure out that's the path that we get to take it is not something that happens in an instant or overnight it is a mode of being And that is what we're cultivating both on this episode and in this show. And so that is my invitation to you. And with that said, I think we'll leave it there and introduce you to the one and only Mr. Mark Groves. Mark Groves, welcome to the Everyday Legends podcast, brother. You are officially my first guest. Oh my gosh, this is an honor. There's not many virginities left in my world and probably (laughs) yours, so... (laughs) <laughs> to be the first is a meaningful thing. Thank you. Uh, an absolute pleasure and um, no pressure. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> mate, where I want to start is a simple one because I know uh, many of my audience right now will know some or a little about you or a lot, um, but some won't at all. So please indulge us. Tell us about you and what you're doing in the world. Oh man, always such a question. Like, please inform me about. I'll write my bio right here. Um, I love. Give us the having a conversation with Mike uh, version, not the bio for your website version. (laughs) (laughs) Loves tacos. Uh, I love everything to do with connection, with the human experience, with um, not just our connection to other people, although that is certainly a major focus of mine. Um, but our connection to ourselves, to the planet, to everything. Mm. And I'm so intrigued by what threatens that, what aids that, what gets in the way of it, and how do we learn the skills to be ultimately better at love um, because you know that's one of the most healing aspects or one of the most nurturing parts about being a human is our biology is really rewarded by safety and security with other people by deep loving bonds by knowing we can trust people knowing we can be ourselves those types of things so 
I mean, that's what I've spent uh, unconsciously a lot of my life yeah. researching and then consciously started to apply all that instead of from a place of manipulation when I was in sales. Now it's more, okay, how do we use skills like this to actually um, channel them from an authentic place, which facilitates community and connection? Beautiful. And so when you say, you know, initially there was perhaps uh, a, a seeking of that from an unconscious place. And, and then you spoke about when you were working in sales, meaning you were f- kind of exploring those skills and learning how you could be a better salesperson or, and or um, as, uh, you know, I suppose the stage that you were at in your life as a wherever you were in relationships, kind of unconsciously figuring these things out so you could, you know, be in relationships more effectively, whatever that looked like at the time, not, not as consciously. Yeah, I think as a young as a young person, I was sincerely really. Um, I would say that relationships sort of came easy to me. That I really, I was sold the stories of Disney and really uh, saw. <laughs> you were the hero. Okay. Seriously, you know, I thought maybe not the yeah, probably the hero in some aspects, but also that um, I was just really interested in learning how to be a great partner. Yeah, and then yeah, I yeah. think I placed a lot of my value in that which is a really thin line to codependency mm-hmm. and then after experiencing pain in relationship really withdrawing from that uh, openness and then wanting to unconsciously learn the skills in order to prevent that outcome mm. from happening again mm. and so you know that's where insert like reading how to win friends and influence people. I had a book called how to get anyone to do anything. I mean, it was from a sales perspective too. How do I change behavior? But yeah. a lot of it was like, how do I get a woman to find me desirable or um, to choose me? And that, that yeah. also involved reading books like the game or the yeah. system, you know, which Rose all pick up artistry books. Yeah. It also feels like, you know, there could be, and there may be a book out there um, with this title, I'm not sure, but like, how do I prevent the pain that I just experienced from happening again? Right. That'd be a good book to write. Cause <laughs> in, that's in really love and relationships. <laughs> right. Cause that's ultimately what we do is the yeah. things that we do in conflict that don't function well, that like defensiveness, criticism, withdrawing, those are all just ways of protecting ourselves from being hurt. Um, mm. but they often just perpetuate and recreate the same hurt in the same situations and they also create a real upper limit in our ability to love and i woke up to that truth you know at 35 where i was like holy shit i haven't let anyone love me in so many years and i didn't even know i wasn't doing that like i didn't know till someone pointed it out and then it hit me like a two by four (laughs) so can you uh, explore that a little bit for us because uh, you know i've heard you say that and and explored it and experienced it, et cetera. But I've also seen people struggle with that idea of what do you mean not letting people love me? So how was that playing out for you? Well, it's so easy to love people in some sense. Like it's easy to give, it's easy to do nice things for other people. We get a lot of value from that. You know, that's the sort of trick of altruism Mm -hmm. is that altruism is never really a free gift because you do get something from it. And that's, we're biologically designed to get Yeah, Even if it's just a feeling or something. Right. And a sense of well-being, a sense of contribution, but that's important. Even that's the biological reward for altruism that creates altruism. Um, And so it's easy to get stuck in that, but to actually let someone love us, to actually allow someone to show up for us, allow someone to take care of us, that is a whole, that's requires the belief that we're worthy of that. And mm. 
that's usually where I see people struggle is they're saying love is not working out, but they're generally picking people it won't work out with or recreating situations that create the same results. So that might show up as dating unavailable people, dating people who just aren't a good match, dating people who don't have the same values, mm. dating people who are addicts, all those types of things, which is not to say that addicts don't deserve love, but when we're dating them and we're trying to fix them and we're trying to save them, that's really can be a, a continued sort of like on the treadmill of trying to mm. um, save them in order to, it's part of the same cycle of trying to perform for love, trying to get love. Yeah. And it's, I think when we can look, you know, I ask people to finish a couple sentences that I think really bring to light what it is that we're avoiding in love. And it's to finish the sentence, when I let people love me, they, and when I love people, they. And so formerly, when I let people love me, uh, my answer would have been, they betray me, they lie to me. Um, uh, and then when I love people, they, when I, when I love people, I betray myself, abandon mm. myself, you know? And so there's a lot of things that unconsciously build this upper limit. And then we start to self-sabotage. Like we might cheat, we might start lying, we might do other things too. And those are all just ways of preventing ourselves from going deeper into vulnerability, mm. but staying in a cycle of hurt, you know, it's a, yeah, it's staying like a in a cycle journey. of like smaller kind of, seemingly more manageable hurt to prevent yeah. a much larger hurt, which is, I think what I'm hearing there is like really letting someone in and how I do that is many ways. One of them might be, you know, I'm going to be the person who fixes you. So therefore, therefore we don't have to either look at me or really enter into and open up into me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where it's like, I know I can manage this. That's why yeah, I live yeah. in this sort of yeah, control. This, you know, this is right. manageable. I'm, I'm under control here. But I can't get to the edge of my capacity because I've never sat in it myself. I've never explored it. And so what happens is, is the edge of my capacity becomes a thing I write about or dream about or watch movies about. But mm. till we actually go there, we can't actually resolve or learn the skills that we needed when the pain occurred. You know, that, that thing that hurt us the most offers us the most insight into mastery in relationship. And mm. so we're so afraid of revisiting it because it's like touching the stove, not realizing that actually that's how you cook the meal. That's how you yeah, create yeah. the community. That's how the relationship gets cooked in a good way though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's an exposed nerve there. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to heal it. Um, beautiful. And so then there was a, an awakening for you and, you know, maybe we can explore that, but, what I'm also hearing, you know, you said like a lot of it was, um, you know, I wanted to be a, a better partner, but perhaps not from a place of, um, you know, where you are now, but more so I can avoid hurt and so I can perform and, and that kind of thing. And um, where I want to uh, take this now is how I first met you and, and, you know, came across you was a piece of content that you wrote a few years ago. And it was... Um, titled, I'm going to get the title exactly, Why You Might Not Be Ready for the Evolved Man You Say You Want, essentially speaking to women or those in relationship uh, with men. And I remember reading it and I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. 
what this guy's saying, but also how he's saying it. And I knew instantly it wasn't just the content that I connected to. It was it was the author and it was, you know, the thing that made me find your uh, details in some way. I don't know what it was, email or something, and reach out to you. And, you know, we started a conversation. Um, and here we are, right? A friendship blossom, et cetera. But yeah. I, I, I was brought back to this because, you know, with terminologies and, and for me with this podcast, you know, I'm talking about supporting men in becoming, you know, an everyday legend and speaking to those men. And, and I was resonating again with what you had described essentially in the evolved man um, with, you know, what I'm, what I'm talking about and supporting um, men in, in creating. And, and for me, it, it kind of sits into that. So I wanted to speak to that a little bit, this, you know, evolved man, because it was, I, I think, a piece that got a lot of um, attention <laughs> yeah. and attraction for you. So again, your own transition from doing things perhaps from a place of hurt or avoiding past pain coming again into that space. Can you talk us through kind of what um, the process was for you landing at that, you know, kind of evolved man and then where you at the time, I suppose, first of all, saw yourself in relation to that? Yeah, you know, I look back and I'm like, I would probably, I would definitely change the title of that article now because <laughs> Evolved is sort of has a contrived sort of righteous uh, feeling to it now. Um, but at the time it was a part of the common vernacular used yeah, yeah. relationally. Uh, and I, I think it, maybe now I would use, say the just the man you say you want because it it's really about just becoming more integrated as a male, you know, which that could be about being a human. It doesn't have to be about being a male. Yeah. But I found the the real motivation of that article was that I kept hearing women say, there's no men like this. There's no blah, 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 blah. But I saw that whenever a good man really showed up in some of these people's lives, uh, they would not know how to handle them because they weren't in the driver's seat emotionally anymore. That mm. the man was actually meeting them in the emotional driver's seat too. And, you know, if we look historically speaking, um, women have overfunctioned in the area of emotion from a pure survival base, holding the community together, holding the family together. That's what was required of the species. And that made it so men didn't have to function so much in that space. That's like a woman reading a book as for the couple, a woman booking all the appointments. Mm. And I'm speaking in a heteronormative sense. This could be in any gender mm. combination. Mm. Uh, but just historically, it's more heteronormative and the drivers of it are more um, from a heteronormative perspective. And then you see that men in that same language of overfunctioning, underfunctioning, men overfunctioned in the providing and going out and doing mm. the, the thing. So now you see a change of that dynamic and there's very much a common conversation that's about uh, uh, giving more opportunity to women. And, and that's, of course, a very important conversation. Mm -hmm. But there hasn't really been a lot of broadening, a broadening of the roles that men can take in relationship that have become, there's certainly a, a very slight conversation about it. But uh, you still see that there's often um, a lack of value seen in a mate who doesn't make as much or more money than the female partner. And you see this mm. a lot in the conversation in the comment sections and things like mm. that. Well, you know, I did a Q and a video that was about should a man pay on a first date? And if he doesn't is a red flag. Those were two separate videos and both of them blew <laughs> up because 
that should actually be a very simple conversation to have. Mm. And we should be able to say a man not paying on a first date, a man actually even inviting a woman to split it is actually could be a green flag because he believes in equality and this woman's ability to provide for herself. Mm. But that is, again, that might be triggering for someone to hear, but just think about it on a very objective lens. Is there something we're attaching to chivalry and a man's value? And even we might say, I'm old fashioned that way. Mm. Okay, why are you old fashioned that way? Where did you learn this? Right, because does it just end at the first date? Mm. It likely doesn't. And so Mm. as we... I think the invitation, because this is none of this is a judgment, it's an invitation to explore why we are shut off from being open to certain types of people. Just like we might Mm -hmm. as men, again, in a heteronormative space, be unable to hold the capacity and container for a woman who makes more than us, right? It's the same. Mm -hmm. Our worth is in our ability to provide. So if she's providing, then where's my worth? Well, your worth doesn't live in what you make. And your worth as a male doesn't live in your emotionality. Your masculinity is not connected to your emotionality. Mm. But those are interesting conversations to have because they require the disintegration of uh, century and I would say thousands of years of programming Mm. that was species related from the evolution of the species, but doesn't seem to serve us now, but it does serve us depending on the culture you're in, depending on, are you going to get rejected for making more money? Or, you know, like you see all these nuances that are really important, the grays to dance in. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it can serve us to understand, you know, because in part, there's still an animal in each of us, right? Yes. Still pulling the strings on some level. And if we don't know how those strings are being pulled unconsciously, then they will, right? So if we can bring some awareness to that, I think um, it can help us understand some of our more instinctual drivers. That doesn't mean they have to, Um, be driving the car but we can start to go oh this makes sense now okay you know i want to uh, provide and i've been in this kind of single track earn more money therefore i have worth therefore i am you know more wanted i have you know more more um, importance more recognition as a partner in my relationship etc on that one thing but of course there's many other ways that i can do that but if i realize that there's this instinctual uh, need and desire for me to provide then I get to explore what is providing, what other ways can I do that? You know, is that also emotional safety, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, you know, I think it's very dangerous for us to dismiss that instinctual side of things um, whilst we explore what objectively, and and as you said, like before, uh, equality of, you know, a green light, him offering her the opportunity to pay half of the date, like how they can actually now shift, right? Well, it's such an interesting to have that, even to express that possibility triggers people. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's so fascinating to observe to me because it shows you how ingrained the assigned values are placed Mm. outside of character traits, which is really fascinating, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even on a first date to be able to say, how do you feel about me paying? It's not to say like, there's not some, if you ask someone out on a date, then maybe you should pay. Maybe that's a Mm -hmm. good rule, you know, or. Mm Uh, especially if you ask them out to a nice restaurant, right? Like we're not saying no rules apply or not uh, graciousness doesn't apply. It's just Mm. a really interesting conversation because then, as you said, it leads to, okay, what else shapes me? And I often think about, you know, when you drive your car and you like get to a place and someone's like, oh, which way did you take? And you're like, Mm. "Uh, I don't actually remember because 
your, our ability to, we can operate a vehicle well and not actually be consciously operating the vehicle, mm. which is kind of crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. But that shows you how much data we can manage and how much information is going on on an unconscious perspective. Mm. And these things are deciding how we argue, deciding what's important to us, deciding, and this is why marketing exists. This is why mm. uh, PR exists. This is why the government's uh, PR systems exist. Is all of a sudden we're like, yeah, I really do buy into that thing that makes no sense. That I mean, we're in the middle of many controversial subjects about yeah. that with COVID. You know, it's like nothing actually makes sense, but we're all just doing stuff without asking questions. So, mm. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. But <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, I think something that popped up for me there is, it, you know, as you said, like have rules, don't have rules. I think with, with anything, but that is such a great little um, lens perhaps to and to area to explore it is, you know, around dating and, and what are the rules and as an individual, regardless of what the thing is, I think you get to have rules for yourself, but we get to question and be clear on what is the intent and what is the driver behind that rule. You know, as you say, I'm a bit old fashioned that way, or I like to, you know, if I ask them on the date, I want to pay for the date, have that rule. But what's the driver? Is it because therefore she will think I'm, you know, worthy and I earn good money? Or is it because it's just a respect based thing? And when I ask someone on a date, I want to be the one who takes care of it. You know, like when you know with, honesty i think and integrity what um is behind your you know little rules you have for yourself depending on how flexible or, or rigid <laughs> they are um there's clarity it's where we can perhaps sit with ourselves and know i'm doing the thing that i believe is in integrity is you know with love and compassion um yeah but of course it doesn't mean it's not going to be met <laughs> with someone's trigger right exactly and and even that you can be dismissed by someone by splitting a bill, right? Yeah. Where you could have done everything right until that moment. And so that's where I want people to start to inquire is where do they place what they value in a mate? Because in the research, at the end of your life, what will matter is were they kind and were they generous? Not to say that you don't want to hump them, right? Like that's, of course, you want to hump your partner. I get that. So it's it. not to dismiss that. But it's like also starting to recognize what do you, do you actually find attractive, the things that hurt you, the, mm. the dynamics in relationships? So, you know, it's like when someone says, but that's just chemistry. I can't decide who I have butterflies for, who I don't. Mm -hmm. And that, that's there. If we know that what we call chemistry attracts us to people who aren't good for us, then we know that there's a drive in our chemistry that is, um, seeking something different than actually safety and love. And so that's where we mm. even need to start questioning our, our uh, what we would call like eroticizing our pain, that we're starting to make sexy the things that hurt us, which really is an invitation to heal those things. It's an invitation to learn boundaries or to say no to unavailable people or dysfunction or whatever it is. It's mm. to step out of the pattern. But most people will just dismiss their attraction as just being biological and as you said uh, earlier, that call back to biology and to recognize that we're human and that we're deeply psychologically complex, <laughs> that we can just start to say, okay, so is there more going on here? Yeah. And you know that whenever you're, you say you want one thing, but you're choosing things that are different than that thing, then you know that there's an unconscious belief that's going on below. And that's how you can start to see that the outcomes of in your life, if they're different than what you say you want and you're choosing things differently, then there's some, there's some real curiosities to be had in that.
Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I want to explore back into that, you know, because you said eroticizing your wounds. So I want to I touch on that. But um, I think that's where we can get into this oversimplified approach where, you know, if I would say I want one thing and I'm doing something else, then it must, it must just be me. It must be my lack of willpower or my lack of discipline, right? right? All these things that are in the way that distract me. You know what? It's, it's the phone. It's the, it's the thing that I have that I use to distract me, whereas there's potentially some underlying beliefs there um, that invite curiosity. And I think that's certainly uh, got to be the first point. So then when it comes to something like that in, in relationships and, and with chemistry, and, you know, as you said, eroticizing your wound. Okay, so someone says, shit, I'm, I'm choosing people who are not good for me, but I, I, there's a drive there. I don't know. I, I, I'm so attracted to them. And, you know, they hear you say that. Oh, shit, maybe that's something I'm doing. Okay, I can get curious. What, what does that then look like beyond reaching out to someone who can you know, support them with it? How can they make sense of, you know, quote unquote, eroticizing their wound? Well, it's such the first part of just acknowledging that we're doing something that's different than what we want is such a mm. beautiful first step mm. to say, yeah. to just acknowledge the truth. Um, that mm. brings it forward and that often can create some shame, but we can learn to increase our capacity to hold healthy shame because mm. that's healthy to know that we want something, but we're choosing something else. Yeah. Um, and so in that experience is the inquiry one into, okay, well, what do you actually want? What do you really want? And starting to look at what is the pattern? Because for most people who eroticize their pain, let's, which I've for sure done too, is that's why I understand it. <laughs> and that's why I can tell when people are full of shit when they're talking about something. Because uh, I've been so full of shit myself. So the first part is, let's say that they're attracted to unavailable people. Well, what they'll usually end up in is in this dynamic where someone said they want a relationship, the other person doesn't, or says they do, but they're not acting in accordance with that. Or um, what they do is they match their relationship intention to someone else's. So someone says, I'm not looking for one. And they say, oh, I'm not either. And so they've already set low accountability behavior mm. in order to just get someone. So they've made being connected to someone more important than honoring themselves. Mm. That's self-abandoning behavior. That's usually learned in childhood. And there's so much compassion for that because as soon as you recognize you mm. do that, mm. then great. Okay, what is the pattern that's in the way? Where does that come from? How do you want to change? How, what do you want to change it to? So say, for example, they're with someone who's hot and cold. Well, what will happen is they say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while, blah, blah, blah. Person hits them up at 1 a.m. That's a good sign that you're a booty call. <laughs> you, get, you hook up and the arousal and the sexual connection treats the pain of the abandonment and rejection. Mm. So we end up in these cycles. And of course, that is the best sex, right? Everyone is like, man, but I, we have the best sex. Of course mm. you do. You got like a couple wounds banging against each other, you know? And it's, <laughs> it's like so full of request to be saved, yeah. to um, be claimed to be chosen, mm. that you, the, the arousal treats that. But then, of course, the wound is completely ripped open again and you're ending yeah. up in the same extremes. And gosh, that can be an incredibly painful cycle because the addiction itself is the chemistry, the arousal, the sex. Yeah. Because I suppose what, what is maybe clouding that is, but when it's good, it's so good. Oh, right? the best. And, yeah. And so that is what makes it on some level think, therefore, it must be right. 
apart from when it's really fucking not. And, and what <laughs> yeah, we're missing right? is that, as you said, it, it, it's that wound that's actually, it's just kind of like kerosene being thrown on a fire. And the reason it's yeah. so height, it's so heightened and so high is, is because it's so desperate to, to, you know, essentially kind of, you know, fill, fill the void and fill the wound, right? Yeah, and you have these, as you said, you forget about the times when you're not chosen. Mm. Um, and that's usually because maybe as kids, it could be from many pathologies, but maybe as kids, we learn to ignore truths in our family. We learn to ignore, and the family never talked about, like the alcoholic parent or the person who left, and you never really got the truth of the story. And so you're used to ignoring red flags because that's how you survive. That's how you didn't experience too much dissonance and pain as a kid. So then it's just normal in relationship. Oh, but I'll just, I'll be the bigger person. I'll do the, and so we end up forgetting about really valuable red flag information and that other people who have experienced healthy dynamics or healed their dynamics recognize as a red flag. And so someone might say, but all I attract is all the men out there are like this or all the women or all the people out there are like this. Yeah. But if you say no to one of those people, you actually end up in a completely different place in a place mm. and a space to recognize people who might actually treat you well. And that's where, you know, it's fascinating is when like someone starts showing up for someone who's in a pattern of choosing unavailable people. And someone's like, consistent, does what they say they're going to do, calls when they say it's very unattractive. They're like, mm. this isn't going to heal my wounds. This is, yeah. but it will. Well, it's not the heal saying them, just no. put some soothing balm on them for a moment, right? Yeah. And then they don't want to bang that person because yeah. God, that's, where's the thrill, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's easy to sort of like laugh at it, but I've been in the cycle mm. where yeah. I'm caught in it and it feels like a drug. It feels like it's impossible to get out of. Uh, but it's sitting in the space of the no and then having patience. And really, I like to think of it as like a test from the universe. It's like, are you, do you actually want what you say you want? Can you hold? Can you hold? Can you hold? Can you hold? And then inevitably, you see eventually that the world is actually different. And what you used to think were green flags are actually red flags. As soon as you cultivate mm. self-worth, uh, inconsistent. If you're consistent with yourself, inconsistent behavior is not attractive. If mm. you're available to yourself, unavailability is not attractive. You know, if you um, have never, if you don't abandon yourself anymore, and you choose yourself, someone who abandons you and doesn't choose you is not attractive. And so you start to see that the what we're seeking in another, we to heal us, is really what we're seeking from ourselves. And when mm. we give it to ourselves, we no longer chase it in other people. And that's where relationships are truly born, is from a space of choice, not a, from a space of need to heal. Mm. But we need to heal to get to the place where we recognize the choice. <laughs> so we're all starting in that place yeah. where we're recovering or healing unresolved family wounds, not just childhood wounds, yeah, but like yeah. you start to see your parents as the children of parents and you're like, oh shit, they got it too. Yeah, which can be a total head fuck, right? Because oh. yes. maybe on some immature level, I was placing blame there. And then perhaps on some misguided adult level, I was not wanting to place blame there because I don't want yeah. to blame them. And so this, this, this just soup of chaos leaves me in a place where I don't know how to figure out my stuff and, and the situation I'm in. Whereas if we can perhaps on some level remove the emotion and, and pull out the data of what's going on, what has gone on, what am I seeing, what am I experiencing, what am I doing? All of a sudden I kind of have some information, right? I can start to explore with curiosity. 
Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's it is, is recognizing that for whatever reason we missed noticing it or labeling it, but mm -hmm. in the labeling, it is such a gift because you realize that it's not your fault. Like you start to see that mm. your worth was never attached to your parents' inability to show up or, or to this situation you had. But what we do with it is the important part. That's the healing of the hereditary stuff is you might be the first person in your family lineage to say no more, mm. to say, I won't be in a relationship with you just because you're blood or whatever. It might be the answer to, to healing. Mm. Um, which is potentially a daunting task. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, as, as you say, there's, if we want the greater reward, there's going to be some work, right? And, and that means, you know, healing and, and no longer choosing those little pieces of pain um, in, in order to create something different for our future. Yeah, and you start to see that you don't have to create connection through suffering. Like you can mm. create connection through peace and calm and safety. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's scary to choose that because we often don't trust it because we've never experienced it. And so I mm. have so much love and respect for anyone who's thinking like, yeah, I do this and I want that, but I, it's me and it's my fault that I can. And no, it's a courageous act to choose a new thing. And so I always honor and respect that, that, that leap of faith that says I'm worthy of and I'm going to put this boundary or make this mm. claim. That's a huge leap and it's so uh it's such a beautiful act and it inspires everyone around even if they are resistant to it mm. yeah of course because there's often so much baggage in the way of being able to say i am worthy of love i am worthy of more than i have been choosing right because all the stories come rushing in and and so what i find and this is something you know you've mentioned it already so i want to explore a little bit is so so without that I'm potentially entering into a relationship or not necessarily, but in my family and my friendships and my work, you know, chasing the, the, the income to get something potentially love to cover how I feel about myself and how I feel in general. And so what mm -hmm. I end up doing is going into the world. And if it's in a relationship sense, putting that other person in charge of my feelings and my happiness. And, you know, as a line I used recently with someone, which is, um, bro, she's not responsible for your feelings and your happiness. You are. And, and it brings, therefore, this word codependency. Um, mm -hmm. So, because it feels like that's kind of what we've been talking about. So, I'd love you to, to explore that. I know you've got so much beautiful content on that. I've been part of it. I've, I've seen the, the new course that you've got, Crushing Codependency. So, please. I know it's a word now that floats out there a lot more. But, you know, yeah. for, potentially for a lot of people listening, they don't really know what that is. You know, and I remember I've had conversations with guys before where, you know, it's, it's along those lines. She's not responsible for your happiness. And it's like, but if I'm in a relationship, then who, who is? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's just right. this total kind of, you know, starting point of understanding what that even is. So can you kind of explain how you see, um, you know, what you see codependency meaning, I suppose, and then how you see that playing out? Well, the first part is there's often a shame associated with even taking on that label. You know, um, saying mm -hmm. I'm codependent. Um, but codependency is just a label that goes upon a, a group of patterns of behavior. You know, so you might call it anxious avoidance attachment. You might call it a number of things. Um, 
And, and people who are codependent often don't think they are, you know, if they're high functioning codependents, as my friend Terry Cole would call it, it's really when you're overtly invested in the thoughts, feelings, and outcomes of other people. And often at the cost of your own thoughts, feelings, and outcomes. And so that can operate very subtly, as you were saying, it can be in a sentence as simple as, you know, that, but she doesn't make me happy, or they mm-hmm. don't do this, or... You know, uh, I want them to just quit this. I want them to read this book. You know, it's, we're doing, I, I mentioned the over-functioning and under-functioning earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, codependent people tend to over-function to make up for other people who aren't. So you might see that in a family system that holds together an addict. I mean, that family system is pivoting and operating around the, the addiction. Mm-hmm. And so everyone takes on a role to make that addiction continue to survive. And yeah. it's when someone breaks the pattern who says, I will no longer, uh, I love you too much for this to continue. That's what inspires healing. Healing's not mm. inspired by uh, continuing to enable, although that's yeah, walking the Yeah, we on eggshells so we don't create a, a, a bigger piece of shit, <laughs> basically. Exactly. And so if you have someone you're in relationship with that you're ex- afraid to even tell the truth about mm-hmm. something you're going through or express that you're um, afraid you're not connecting anymore or that you asked them to do this thing and they said they would and they didn't. So then you did it. Like you continue to fill space that they need to step into. You continue mm-hmm. to take the space of their growth. If they're upset and they come home grumpy from work, you all of a sudden your day is ruined you know, Mm. and that should have nothing to do with you. Mm. But often a codependent person will think it's about them or take it upon themselves to fix the other person. So you can't let them be with their feelings, becomes part of your job. Yeah, and in trying to fix their feelings, you're also sending the message that they can't do it themselves. So they continue to be treated in a way that perpetuates their under-functioning. And so their identity is, there's something wrong with me or I'm not, you know, I don't have to show up because you keep showing up so much. You know, it's like you tell a kid to make their bed, but you keep making it every morning. You know, it's the same sort of concept. Yeah. yeah. Why would I bother? So then what I'm hearing is there's kind of the two ways that this uh, very simply um, can play out is I'm placing um, my feelings and my happiness in your hands. And then the other one being I'm taking responsibility for your feelings and your happiness. Yeah. Like if you don't do that thing, I'm going to be upset with you. Yeah. You know, so then I'm I'm overtly invested in your behavior. Yeah. And the relationships are often structured based on those patterns of how they dance together. And, you know, the relational structure that we inherited is codependency. I mean, that's mm. essentially what the quote unquote breadwinner family is. It's like one person's going to self-abandon. This is historically, I'm saying, mm-hmm. would go to the factory and work or do a job they hate because they need to provide. So there's not really true self-expression going on. And again, mm-hmm. I recognize the limits from a geographic perspective and all the different things that influence this. Um, because, you know, my parents are immigrants so and grew up very poor. So mm-hmm. they did. I couldn't say to my parents, like, you can self-express and do anything you want. And they'd be like... <laughs> eat shit you know yeah <laughs> so, i have to be practical and realistic and responsible right. yeah exactly so you know the and the other person um stay at home take care of everyone put your mm. needs second mm. so both people are abandoning in order to maintain the family system and now you mm. see this sort of historically i'd say it's about it's leveling out now mm-hmm. but you saw a massive increase in divorce because 
one, you could before you weren't legally allowed to yeah. get divorced. You know, you had in Canada, you had to get it approved by like a provincial, which would be a state body in Australia too. Uh, are they called territories or states? State, but both. States. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. You're like uh, the states in Canada mixed. Nice. And yeah. they, and in this, so we would have to have a provincial board approve a divorce. Right. So it wasn't even Not until cool. 1967 that, the divorce act came in that you could get divorced because you just didn't align with someone mm. and that had to go through a three-year separation so you saw a huge spike in divorce wow. but then it wasn't until the mid 80s that they they changed the act so it was only one year and then you saw another massive spike in divorce and that makes sense because you have you know the sexual revolution the feminist revolution you have all these different um movements that are about equity that are about mm. uh, self-empowerment about uh, sovereignty over self and my choices i mean gosh still in a lot of countries which i'm not criticizing this but still in a lot of places you marry the person your family tells you to mm. uh, your future is essentially decided for you and that's true for a lot of people mm. you know and and uh you know there has been historically some argument that uh, arranged marriages are as satisfying, if not more satisfying, um, but that's because they weren't allowed to get divorced. So as soon as you start to, uh, right. as soon as you start to bring in all the different variables, yeah, you got to look that, at many different factors. Yeah, yeah, human relationships are complex, and there's not really one way that's better than the other. I'll tell you, the best way to have a relationship is two people feel free to be themselves. I don't care the construct or how you came together. If you have a mm. deep love and respect for one another and the relationship is a container that grows and expands as you do and invites your self-expression, then, um, then we're on the money. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how you met. It doesn't matter your gender combination. What matters mm. is that both of you are committed to the full self-expression of each other and together. Mm. And I love that because I think you know what I'm also hearing here is and it doesn't matter what it looks like because for some people awesome. that could look exactly like the cliched model, which is one Good. partner is going out and providing and the other one is, you know. It's beautiful, right? Exactly if that's right. by choice. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's not by choice because, of course, there's socioeconomic factors in that too. Mm. So um, it's not yeah, by choice. Yeah, and maybe some beliefs that are still role. just wedged in there, right? right? Disguising it as, no, this is what we're choosing, but actually it's maybe a little bit of dishonesty with self. Well, you see this with um, same gender relationships um, or different gender constructs than heteronormative because uh, they choose the stay-at-home person based on skill set rather than uh, yeah. gender, which is fascinating, right? Because if we did that from a heteronormative perspective, you know, it's like women can't win either. You're supposed to crush life, get a, do work, crush it in the workplace, and if you don't do that, pain. right? And if you don't do that, or you want to just just, which is, I don't mean it as a minimization, but if you want to stay at home and be, uh, take care of the home and be a mom, that can then be minimized by women too. So, uh, mm. you know, it's very fascinating. Yeah. And as men, we do the same thing. It's like, mm. oh, but it'd be valuable if you stayed at home, but then we'll call you a pussy and we'll do all these things. You know, it's the language <laughs> and the shaming around what we just want other people to live in a way that makes us feel safe. That's ultimately yeah. what we want. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a nice little summation, but also a huge can of worms. Um, right, okay, right. so, but okay, beautiful. And and so, what I want to speak to, because you know, one of the things he first said around codependency is there can be a shame attached to even essentially admitting 
right? That I have some level of, of yeah. codependency. And, you know, I think we see this not just in relationships, but a dependency that is not necessarily serving us or the other party, right? And so that could be anything, you know, it could be I am solely dependent on my dog to feel okay. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have my dog, my world would crumble right now. It's like, okay, well, that dog, you know, can't really speak for how much pressure it's being lumped on it. But there's there's different ways of dependencies, right? And, you know, perhaps in our job, um, there's a there's an entire dependency on that for my sense of identity. And I see this a lot in men, right? You know, mm-hmm. what comes up with who you are often is what I do, right? And so there's a dependency on that for a sense of identity, which is flimsy. Because, of course, any moment that gets pulled out from under you, which is happening to a phenomenal amount of people right now, like never before in history, people losing their jobs, right? And with that identity, there's a dependency on that that isn't necessarily healthy. Um, but I want to speak to the other side of that in relationships. Where is there a, I don't know, I was going to say a healthy um, level or version of dependency. Because, you know, it could be perhaps argued that if we tried to avoid any level of dependency, that also might be a very unrealistic or or tough expectation. Yeah, well, we wouldn't be in very healthy relationships, you know, there'd be two isolated individuals not co-creating anything together. And yeah, that's that line of interdependency. You know, there's a, when we look at what differentiates a securely attached person from an insecurely attached person, uh, we we would say the defining characteristic is that your partner's needs matter as much as your own, not more than your own, not less than your own. And that's really a healthy level of interdependency is when I really do need help, I ask and I'm willing to be supported. That becomes the belief I'm worthy of being supported, right? Mm. And do you have a hard time letting people offer you help or support? Do you have a hard time mm. when someone says, I got that, I'll do that for you? Or, hey, can I help do that? And you're like, no, 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 I'm all good. Or when someone compliments you and you can't just say thank you. You know, these are all just, (laughs) the healthy level is, you know, compromise is an interesting thing. Because of course, in response to a lot of what you and I have been talking about, people say things like, well, this is just the new generation of people. No one values relationship and compromise. And, you know, love is about giving and blah, 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 blah. And yes, all that's true. The challenge is, is that often, not always, the people saying that are still operating under like the compromise is actually self-abandonment. Mm. So, you yes. know, and yeah, so this becomes this, of course, as, as humans, we always do this. We learn something and then we pivot to its far extreme. And mm. so we become, and you saw this in the feminist revolution in response to women losing their sovereignty and their safety and security financially, and then pivoting far to financial independence. I don't need anybody, you know, that kind of thing, which was important Mm. because that's the reclamation of self. That's like, if you have been a doormat in relationship your whole life, usually the first response is to create walls. Mm. And that's healthy at first because you need to get a separate sense of self before you know what to draw boundaries around. You know, because that's ultimately what boundaries do is they draw a circle around who you are. They preserve your wholeness. And this same sort of pivot that we all do as humans is we go to complete independence. I don't need anybody. And and men have done this too. And people Mm. do this is I've been Mm. hurt by relationship. I saw my mom get hurt by relationship. And then the overcompensation men do is become overtly placating and 
too nice um, mm. and they don't have boundaries. And that of course is incredibly unattractive, but they're really just trying to, um, they're self-abandoning in order to maintain connection. And that's not the solution. None of it is the solution. The solution mm. is learning how to stay in your own lane, learning how to take care of yourself, learning how to offer help and yeah. allow someone else to, to say yes to that. And also um, someone teaching each other how to ask for help. And that's where you're, you start to see that a compromise comes from a place of love. Mm. It comes from a place of, it doesn't feel like you're losing by compromising. Yeah. It might, and it might love feel for sadness. self too, right? Right. That I love me and I love you and I love us. Mm. There's no, there, I don't not love me anymore because I'm doing this, which would be self-abandoning. Yeah. And learning the line between self-abandonment and compromise again sometimes requires that pivot to the edge. Yeah. to not compromise at all, to realize you're not connected to anybody. And so you start to see, it. this is how boundaries, as I said, are learned, is like our boundaries are often porous, so we allow too much, and then they become rigid and they become a wall. But mm. it's ultimately a healthy boundary is how do I feel protected and stay connected? And that's the same dance that we're learning relationally. How do I create a container where we both feel safe to be ourselves? and be okay with that threatening the relational status, you know, because mm. the biggest fear that people have is that the relationship won't last forever. But in the fear that their relationship won't last forever, they actually um, don't have the conversations that might threaten its status. Mm. But those conversations are actually the very thing that deepen it. And mm. so we're left in this conundrum because the way to deeper intimacy is to have conversations that either threaten the fracturing of a relationship or deepen it. Mm. But the beautiful thing is when you have those conversations that require so much courage, you are saying that the truth matters more than forever. Yeah, or just always. staying together even though it might be, you know, not effective <laughs> at all. Right. Yeah. Which it doesn't yeah. serve each other's expansion or growth. Sometimes leaving a relationship actually serves our expansion and our growth more um, yeah. because it requires the rebellion against a system that potentially has held one or both of us hostage. Usually if it's holding one hostage, it's holding the other person hostage. Mm. And those are hard conversations to have because I'm sure even people listening, some people might be like, bullshit, this is what's wrong with relationship today. And I'd say, sure. You know, if that's what you feel, great. But I promise you that the true path to freedom is in relationship is the freedom to be yourself. If the being yourself mm. threatens the relationship, then the relationship is not a healthy container. You know, no. it's, it's a if crutch you, if, of some sort. Right. If your expansion cracks the container of the relationship, then the container of the relationship can't hold you. Mm. And so that's, it's like we need to rem think about the container of a relationship being something that continues to grow as we do. And that means that we need to continue to deepen the intimacy with ourselves, but then also with our partner, which is scary because then we're literally always on the edge of what we know intimately, which is fucking terrifying. I mean, I'm in, I'm in it. I know. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I'm wrong a lot. I don't like it, yeah. but it's <laughs> required to, to be seen, to be witnessed and to yeah. have humility. And otherwise, I think, you know, you see the word abandon and, and also compromise. I think otherwise you're compromising yourself, which is, you know, I think a simple link to abandoning self. No, but if I just stay here and I stay this version of myself, then things will be okay. But also, I think more broadly speaking in life, the moment I 
try and stop and cling to something here is the moment life just moves past me and it's potentially very much the same with our relationships, right? Yeah, it's so fascinating how we try to hold on to a container that fit a previous part of our life. Mm. And we think that we have to stay in the way the relationship started in order for me to honor the relationship, not realizing that uh, if the fully expressed version of myself today comes out, I invite the fully expressed version of my partner. And that is the most beautiful thing in the world, but we're so terrified Mm. and protecting the other person from hurt and the possibility of rejection and abandonment Mm. that we... shitty beliefs about myself might pop up. Right. And so that's codependent, right? Mm. If I'm protecting you from how you might feel about you because of the truth, then I'm not serving either of us. I'm pretending to be someone. So we're actually not in love with each other. We're Mm. in love with the version of each other that we pretend to be that hold the relationship together, which is built on very thin ice because both of those veneers are five Jack Daniels shots away from being exploded and expressed. Yeah. And I think the other thing I see there, you know, we've spoken a little bit about nice guys and I, I certainly work with a lot of guys who, you know, kind of fit in that mold. And the other term that comes up there is white knight, the person who's choosing to self-sacrifice, right? Oh, and so yeah. part of that can look like, well, I am happy to let that side of me go in order just to keep the status quo here. But I mean, fundamentally, what we're doing is consistently just sweeping a bunch of things under the rug. It keeps piling up in the corner. It's fucking obvious, but you know what? I'm just happy to sacrifice and, and not touch it. It's such a enough, righteous throne. We're going to... Of course, right? Because it puts me, you know, I've heard you speak about this before. It, it creates this kind of separation of hierarchy in the relationship because I'm the one who's doing the things. And, you know, it doesn't take, I think, too much analysis to realize there's going to be at some level, well, I need to also be seen and re- rewarded and, and, and acknowledged for that, my suffering and my sacrifice, right? Yeah, that... Uh... That recognition also, or sorry, that righteous throne that we sort of stand on to, it becomes a way that we don't get witnessed and we don't get seen. And ultimately, you know, the fuel that drives it is inadequacy because it's, it's worth being derived from saving people mm. only because I don't believe my worth lives in just being. And mm. so mm. that, you know, it's, it's like at the very beginning we were talking about Okay, well, you can pay for a date, but are you paying for the date because you were taught that that's what you should do, or are yeah. you paying? And then it becomes the the actual act of paying is contrived, and it's creating a secret contract that's mm-hmm. going to feel icky for the person receiving the thing, and so that's that nice guy sort of um, manipulative behavior. And don't get me wrong, I I have so much compassion for it because I've Mm. certainly participated in it because that's us participating in the act of patriarchy. And and our value, we might lose a mate because we're giving that energy where we're acting in that way and they don't trust us because our energetics is asking them to exchange themselves for this coffee or this thing. And if the energetic, as you said so eloquently earlier, comes from a loving space. I do this because I actually want you to feel taken care of. I want you Mm. to feel appreciated. It comes from a place of love. It's not attached to a second date. And you know, energetically, you're going in with that. That comes from a loving whole place Mm. that whether the, the point of the date is to figure out if you align, not to manipulate them, you know, and, and that can be true from no matter the side of the relationship. 
Oh, yeah, very much so. And so there's a word that's popping up for me there that I want to address because it's something that's very, for me, central to so much of the work that I do. But also when I think about, you know, the everyday legend, this term that I've kind of coined this this podcast, the evolved man as well that you, we were speaking about earlier or whatever that term might <laughs> yeah. become now. There's also Maybe that's conscious, called the everyday legend now. I like that. The conscious yeah. man is another overused term, right? But that word is integrity. Mm-hmm. And it's actually something that I um, have learned a lot about from you over the years of our friendship, which I Same. treasure and am incredibly grateful for. So what I'd like to do is, is ask you kind of how you see that linking in when it comes to this idea of codependency. Like, What is integrity for you? Let's start there. And then how does that kind of play out in, the, in this codependency? I remember hearing uh, Ram Das say... Uh, I hope I live with the integrity that the truths that live within me are the same as the truths that live outside of me. And when those things are not aligned, everything, uh, everything I choose comes from a place or every message I give is a mixed message, one of love and one Mm. of fear. And that was one of the, those like sentences that was like, Oh yeah, that's integrity for me. That, that the truths that live within me are expressed in my behaviors and my way of being. Um, Integrity for me is acting in a way that is honorable to my values Mm. and who I am and the characters, the characteristics that I want to hold. And that's not obviously always easy because we have a lot of, Mm -hmm. uh, the world is based on, and you're celebrated for not having integrity. You can get ahead in business by not having integrity. You can certainly get ahead in business by having integrity, but Mm. the fastest way to hack that one is to be dishonest. Mm. Um, and, and of course I'm not saying everyone who's successful in business is dishonest, but there are a large amount of corporations that are dishonest. And I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. So, Hey, Mm. you know, there's that the, and also maybe not even dishonest because that, that could be misguided that, that could be misleading for some people but simply out of integrity because it might feel yeah. like i'm not being dishonest that's but true. there's actually a lack of integrity yeah because that's like to say that the law is always in integrity when we know the law is not yeah. always in integrity <laughs> exactly. you know um not so, paying like you know a, ma- a massive organization multinational not paying tax in a country it does a lot of business in for example yeah like is that right like using factories that exploit cheap labor is that right no mm. so you start to ask these sorts of questions and uh as a man my integrity really started to like am i choosing this from a place of love is this uh way i'm being how i want to be remembered you know it, those types of questions just really started to come forward for me and um that was the most freeing thing was to tar- finally take charge of my integrity to finally mm-hmm. say like, okay, well, if this doesn't align with what the group or the general consensus of the masculine is, then I'd rather not belong. You know mm-hmm. that, because I think one of the most challenging things for men is coming to terms with your emotionality, which all men have because you're human. Mm-hmm. And your sensitivities and those actually and recognizing that you might be likely more sensitive than a lot of women you've met in your life mm-hmm. and maybe all of them <laughs> and recognizing that that is not in any way tied to your masculinity. And then how do you express it in a way 
that's integrated hmm. because you know is in the research from Brene Brown she talks about how when a man cries in front of a woman she often loses respect for hmm. the man and so that puts us in a bit of a conundrum because of course we've heard <laughs> women want emotionally intelligent men yeah the evolved when, man right Right. But then when we're emotional, we're seen as weak, which mm. is a story that we perpetuate as men. So mm. really the answer is to, as men claiming our emotionality. Uh, and I think when our tears come from a place when it's childlike, you know, when the emotion is childlike and it's seeking attention and it's seeking affirmation. And we maybe learned it as a kid as a way to connect with our mother or our mm. father. Yeah. Um, get attention. Yeah, when it comes from that place, it's not, it is manipulative, it's contrived, which is not to dismiss it, because that's a learned survival behavior. Mm. But when it starts to come from a place of I'm not seeking your validation, and I can cry, and you can, what you think about my crying has nothing to do with what I think about my crying. Mm. It's like when you finally have a boundary with someone, they're like, oh, well, now that's attractive, right? And you realize if you're a male who's emotional and never really had them, you know, like, wait, saying no is actually okay. And that makes people respect me. Whoa, yeah. this is a mind fuck. And yeah, or it might not. Is. Right. But there's, there's the lesson there to how much meaning do I attach to that? And do I, yeah. try and, do, do I, I try and manage me? that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's mm. a, I think a really beautiful, like I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about this because I think we're, uh, quite similar in terms of our emotionality and our journeys. And, and uh, I echo your sentiments about uh, the value in our friendship because it's so safe for me to be seen with you. And I think that not all men have that experience. And I mm. consider myself pretty lucky to have had that experience. Um, and when you get a taste of it, you realize that that's everything when you can be self-expressed mm. then you can finally connect on a deeper intimate level with your partner but you know we, we have to recognize that whatever age we are as men we likely have had that many years of socialization to not have emotion so we have more work to do in terms of uh understanding our emotional fluency we have more years mm. to put in and mm. shit we usually are being asked to do it in the moment of a conflict like why mm. can't you just share how you feel and we're like no one has wanted to know how I feel for the last 35 fucking years, you know? And nor have I. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't known how to. I don't even know what these feelings mean. All I know is that I'm socialized to kind of have some happiness, to be sexual, and to have anger, which is usually aggression, you know, not yeah. clean anger. So yeah, it's our work to do that for ourselves, you know, and that's, we have to get to the source of all of these things and we have to learn our emotional mm. fluency. I, I think the way of, the future if we start to really claim this um you know we start to and women in a heteronormative sense choose uh more emotional men men who have emotionality then mm. other men will seek to emulate the men who are being chosen that's how evolution works yeah beautiful i love that and and because there's also something that i see a lot there's a word that comes up at time and time again in, in men that i have conversations with and that I work with around emotions and it's this desire to control our emotions. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I see that, oh, okay, I know what's happening here, right? There's this desire that I know I have emotions, but I want to, <laughs> I just want to keep them at a, at a, at a level. Keep them in check. And, yeah. And, and because they, 
there's this you know pendulum swinging as you said earlier right we tend to go to the other end and so the when you don't know something and and certainly my experience is for a lot of men and emotions and it's foreign and exploring that feels very vulnerable very open i see the idea that if i explore that i'll go to the other end of the pendulum i will then be a a mess i I won't i won't be able to hold it together you know i'll I'll, they will be controlling me and of course for some people um that Mm -hmm. does happen but you know when you're talking about this emotional fluency I think there's a learning process to get to the the middle, let's call it, of understanding, managing, and processing my emotions, um, not controlling them and stuffing them away, and not having them control me. You know where I perhaps am absolutely an emotional wreck, and that might not mean I cry at the drop of a hat. That might just be I can't contain my emotions because I don't know. You know, I don't have those boundaries within myself, right? Um, there, there's so much to explore there, but. I feel like you know if you're someone who hasn't explored that before, then well you're probably a beginner, and you know what, dude, you might need to suck at it for a while. If you want to get better, if you want to get more fluent at it, like Mike said, then it's going to take time. You're learning a new language, right? Be patient with yourself. Get someone who can support you in learning that. And I think you know circling back to the evolve me in peace, where you were essentially writing that to women, saying, hey, you know, you want the guy, you want him to be more open. Are you ready if he's going to sit down and cry in front of you? Right, because that's potentially a huge barrier will send him away. And there's a word you've spoken about a few times through this conversation that for me comes up there is safety. And you know, I, and that's what I see myself, but also men that I work with. We've got to feel safe to go into our emotive side, to into our feminine, into, into our heart. And if we don't, and if that's you know thrown back in our face, there's a likelihood that we'll lock it in a box even further away. Mm, right. True. Well, and if we place the need for safety and someone else to provide it for us. That's where we start to get stuck. Just like the validation of my emotionality is in if my male friends tell me or my partner says it's mm-hmm. okay to be emotional. You know, and and that's a challenging thing because that's going against our biology. Our biology says seek community that makes this okay. And if it's validated by your community, it's validated as opposed to, you know, it's certainly valuable to find men who are doing this work or people who mm. are doing this work, depending on which avenue you want to go. And, and that is, you know, cause you can certainly learn it in the container with other people, no matter the gender. I'd say what some of the most powerful work, like the work you do with men is that a lot of healing men have to do with men. Just like, you know, when you talk to women who are doing women's work, a lot of women have healing to do with women. Mm. And we certainly do. I certainly have. And when you get to know the edge of your rage, you know, the mm. edge of, uh, you usually find that there's a lot of grief below that, mm. you know? And so whenever I experience someone who's overtly guarded, overtly masculine, overtly protected, you know, there's a lot of grief below all of that of who they have not been allowed to be and probably mm. a lot of suffering they've endured mm. um, with an open heart as a kid, likely. Mm. and we usually experience so much of our social rejection from our gender first. And as you see the social constructs of hierarchy come in when you're in like, you know, when you're like 11, 12, 13, 14, you start to see social hierarchies being created. It's usually by athletic performance for men and Mm. height, facial hair, things that make them masculine, quote unquote. Mm. And then you see it for women being placed in 
uh, femininity, body, that kind of stuff. So it's the re- the reclamation of yourself is so fascinating because it's you have to learn to hold the container of your own emotion, and that's scary at first mm. because if mm. you've never touched it, if you've never just sat in the edge of it, you'll try to avoid it through sexual arousal, through providing, through having status, through mm. buying nice shit, you know, just so. You know, I remember when I bought an engagement ring, I remember thinking to myself, like, I bet you, because I, that engagement didn't work out, spoiler alert for people listening, <laughs> that was the sort of beginning of everything. And for me into looking into my relational patterns, and I remember I bought a pretty big ring. And I remember thinking to myself, I bet you that the size of the ring is correlated to uh, the desire for someone not to pay attention to the connection. No judgment on the size of the ring you bought, but I'm saying that there would be a loose or slight mm-hmm. correlation. And the research you does had that show, when you bought it. I thought that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought like, pay attention to the to this, so you don't ask me about how I'm feeling. Mm. And, wow. Right. And and, whew, um, and and what's popped up for me there immediately is. You know, it might not be the ring. It could be something else. Has there been something else that you have brought into the relationship as a distraction from perhaps the level of connection? Status. Did you buy a Hummer? You know, a Hummer. Do you have, what are those called in Australia? Uh, uh, those weird car trucks? What do you guys call a them? A ute. A ute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> car trucks. trucks. Mark and I have spoken about utes a lot in the past for those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <A> ute. Um, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, so, okay, man, look, as we both know, there's so much that we can kind of keep exploring there because as you're talking there about aggression and, and anger, you know, what I'm hearing as well is that's perhaps where some self-abandonment has happened time and time again. And so there's perhaps anger and rage that I have and I place it out in the world where in reality, perhaps I need to hold her a mirror and see where is that actually been generated from within yeah. myself and my own actions. And back to the point before, stepping out of my own integrity and there's a line there that you said or a question for yourself which i think is really powerful and it's perhaps something that the the listeners can take away which is do i respect myself and that perhaps invites a yes or no answer so maybe the next question is what would it take for me who do i need to be and what do i need to do in order to respect myself i think that's a really simple template to to guide ourselves yeah, and it's really as simple as you become someone you admire. And mm. a lot of people, when you ask questions like, what do you need? What do you value? Uh, they don't know. And that's usually because their lives, and if we're speaking from a codependent place, but this can, mm. this pathology can come from many reasons, is they don't know because they've placed their life around other people's needs. They've mm. uh, <laughs> I value what you value. <laughs> right. And, and I chameleon myself to be like you. So I feel like I fit in. I feel, and so differentiating. You or the group perhaps, right? Like it could be the group as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it could be like you're a smoker and then you realize you don't want to be a smoker anymore. And you realize that as you stop smoking, you're the people around you either have to change in some sense or you have to continue to be like that or not. No judgment Mm. on smoking. It's just a simple example, Mm. a slight judgment on smoking. It's not a great health decision, but the, Fascinating thing about that is in the changing of your own uh, choices is is the simple way to figure out 
what you value is to just look at people who inspire you, people who you admire because mm. their values are what you actually are pursuing. Mm. And so that's a simple sort of hack to figure out what you value. And then you just start, what would my life look like if it, if, if I wanted to get there, where would I start here? And you got to clean up your life because that's mm. integrity. Mm. Integrity is, saying no to the things that don't align with your core essence, with what your soul is saying needs to be expressed from you. It's the reclamation of your authentic self. And mm. Gabor Mate talks about how humans have two needs for attachment and for belonging, but when, or sorry, for authenticity and belonging. When authenticity threatens belonging, belonging usually wins. And so we have so many moments in our childhood where we let go of parts of our core essence, our core expression for survival. Mm. And this is the act of getting into integrity is one, discovering what do you value and who do you want to be and how do you want to leave your footprint on this world? And then making your life align with that. That's integrity is getting back into your soul's purpose, your soul's integrity, your soul alignment. And that's treating people with grace, kindness, love, which remember grace, kindness, and love are often boundaries are often mm. saying no, are often, it is loving to tell someone that their behavior is not okay for you. It's actually loving. It's loving mm. to say, I can't maintain a relationship with you that is committed to pain. I mm. can't, but I am committed to a relationship with you that's committed to love and respect. And here's mm. what I'm willing to do to do that. If you're not, cool, I love you. But if you are, cool, here's what it looks like. And that's, mm. I mean, that's essentially like, what a beautiful invitation that is to someone to love themselves and each other. Yeah, which might also you know, be, feel, look very painful yes. <laughs> to start with, right? Well, but every that's part often... of you that adapted has to die. Yeah, yes, very much so. And, you know, I think, again, quite simply, that that's choosing to be honest with, yourself and then again asking that question well who do i want to be mm. and if you're struggling to think of that then perhaps you can look at you know who do i um, admire and and what is it about them and their character right not the fact that they have mm. the watch and the shoes and the thing and the partner but uh, about their character um beautiful okay so i've checked the time which means it's time i feel like we should wrap this up but of course i could keep talking so but what i'm actually hearing yeah. in, in all of this for you is you know i hate to self-source and keep bringing it back to why i've chosen <laughs> to call this podcast what i have but fuck it that's what i'm gonna do um <laughs> is you know this this term legend it's something that i've realized man I, I use it all the time and then i was like why do i use it all the time and it just you know invited inquiry so what i actually want to ask you is when you hear that word used in reference to someone what comes to mind well one the word has a bit of a mythical nature to mm. it you know i think about it from a mythical sort of uh a story of of uh of like a warrior in some sense and you know i think of like braveheart you know not a great ending, but a great movie, <laughs> you know? And when I think of a legend, everyday legend, I think of how simple it is as a person to be inspiring. You don't have to have a social platform. You can be inspiring just by being a person of integrity. You can be inspiring by honoring your word. You can be inspiring by not tolerating um, 
people and a government or whatever it is uh, that acts in ways that create suffering. And, and that can simply just be by the choices you make in your everyday world. It, that alone, just being someone of integrity trickles to everyone around you because they are inspired by how you show up and make that matter more than anything. You know, I've always appreciated people who put the truth over the fear of my response to the truth. Because to me, that means they're committed to something that is about my expansion, about calling me forward. And gosh, I wouldn't keep anyone else around me because that, it doesn't serve me to play small. It doesn't serve you to let me play small. Mm. And a legend, an everyday legend is, I think, leaves a, a footmark, a, a footprint upon the world that is inspiring and filled with compassion and grace. I think maybe grace being one of the most important, at least in my most mm. recent time. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, brother. To be the first, I feel honored. Got to pop so, that cherry. God, I feel so honored. And um, <laughs> you continue to do such beautiful work and continue to say yes to things that your expansion asks of you. So that's inspiring <laughs> in and of itself. Thank you. Well, it took me longer than I would have liked, but I also knew I needed to just sit and not act with perhaps a rashness that I contend to with things. And you know what? Let's just give some consideration, which is so me as well. Um, okay, so let's wrap up on you, please. If there's something that you're creating in the world that you'd like to share and also where, Mark, can people find you? So you can find me personally on markroves.com and then you can go to Create the Love on Instagram. That's also on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, but on Instagram is where all the links are to get courses. So I have a course on boundaries. I have a course on, it's called Rediscover Your Wholeness. That's all about like, what do you value? Figuring out who you are. Where did you lose yourself? How do you reclaim yourself? That goes well with the boundaries course. And then I have um, a breakup recovery course that's all about five weeks of walking people through the stages of grief, but also the stages of expansion to use that grief to create a, a better version of ourselves and crushing codependency, which is again, uh, I mean, that's been such a fun course to create. <laughs> I created it with a psychotherapist named Terry Cole. And uh, that was just a really fun adventure. And I have a course on relationship to money. So it's all about all the different types of relationships. So if any of those, resonate uh, with lovers to be part of someone's journey to figuring those things out. It, it is such an honor. Beautiful. And I can certainly speak um, from experience, the power um, and immense value in all of Mark's work. Um, Cause I've been in it with him. I've sat next to him uh, in the front of a room and um, in the front of a course and, and consumed so much of his content. I appreciate what you're doing in the world, brother, and for you coming on and uh, sharing some of your insight and expertise um, and that also beautifully unique sense of humor that you have as well. Thank <laughs> oh, you man. for joining us today and perhaps we can explore more of that side in our next conversation because I'm sure there will be many more. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, brother. You've been listening to the Everyday Legends podcast, the show dedicated to helping everyday men build legendary relationships with yourself, with your partners, and in your world. If you have got something from this podcast, please share it with someone that you think could benefit from it, and please visit your home for podcasts, 
like us, subscribe to us, leave us a review. Your feedback is phenomenal in getting this in front of more eyes and ears. Until next time, I'm Mike Campbell, and remember to build that legendary integrity.